Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The FT. On the show this week, oil prices drop below $100 a barrel. Wherever you look at it from, this level of prices are not good for the recovery process. And we may well see that the oil demand can be under pressure. Speculation over cuts in Iraqi production targets. Iraq is a very important player on the oil markets and will be crucial for having a safe journey in the next years to come. The future energy mix post-Fukushima. Lower nuclear growth would mean higher energy prices, more risk for energy security, and higher carbon dioxide emissions. Three bad news together. And your comments? We've had quite a discussion online over the rise in US fuel prices, uh, how much consumers there are paying at the pump. You're listening to Energy Weekly with me, Sylvia Pfeiffer. Joining me in the studio to talk over this week's topics, we have the chief economist from the International Energy Agency, Fatih Birol, and the FT's energy correspondent, David Blair. Let's start with oil prices. Last week, we saw something of a market rout when oil prices plunged. Oil futures in New York dropped more than 14.7%. Fatih, what was this? Was this a long overdue correction, do you think? I think this was, first of all, a reaction to a few market data. We saw some weak data coming from United States and some European countries and also inflation fear in some major Asian countries. And market has overreacted to this economic data that the global economic recovery is slowing down. Plus, on the basis of that, some speculation, of course, took place. We had such an unprecedented decline, but which has been, the correction has been corrected again beginning of this week, and we are still on the trend, uh, which is over uh, $110 in uh, Europe and around $100 in the United States. So wherever you look at it from, this level of prices are not good for the recovery process, and we may well see that the oil demand can be under pressure A, is a result of a weaker economy, and B, is a direct effect of the prices on the energy users, oil users, and we may see a decline in the growth of demand this year. The IEA came up with some figures recently, didn't they, about demand for Saudi oil, which had been less than previously expected. David, I don't know if you want to jump in. Does that explain why Saudi Arabia's oil output didn't grow any further in response to the Libyan crisis? I think uh, Saudi Arabia made strong statements as soon as the Libyan crisis has started. And, of course, we are not yet there to see how much of that statement has been fully utilized. It is very welcome that Saudi Arabia steps in as a central banker of the oil industry. But we ourselves are not yet there to see how much of that statement, how much of that oil is put in the market. We still see that the loss of uh, Libyan oil 
is not fully covered in the markets by the growth coming from the key producers. And on top of that, if you also consider the refinery maintenance season is coming to an end, and there will be a typical seasonal increase in the global oil demand, this may well mean that uh, there is a room for prices to grow in the next uh, quarters to come if we do not see an increase in production. OPEC will have their next meeting on the 8th of June in Vienna. Do you think that they will respond to the onset of the high demand season, as it were, by increasing supply? Is there any chance of that? When I read the papers and the the views of the commentators, I think it is not the likely outcome. However, I would think that there is a need for the producers now to act before we have an accident in the global economy. The numbers, especially coming from the United States, are not very encouraging. And just the opposite, it is rather worrying, those numbers, including the economic data, macroeconomic data, in terms of GDP growth, in terms of the housing sector and uh, others. But for me, a crucial one is the Asian inflation numbers. Why do you think OPEC is unlikely to act? Is it because they genuinely don't see the economic case for pumping more oil? The commentators think that OPEC is not going to increase the production. I have no idea what they are going to do, but my wish is that they also read the market as we do and act upon that, which means to minimize the risks of a derailing of the economic recovery as a result of very high prices we have now. What I would like to see, a good news coming from Vienna, beginning of June, which will be not only good for the consumers, but I genuinely believe it will be good news for producers as well because we all need a healthy recovery, global recovery, in order to continue with the increase in the demand and increase in the global economic activity. Let's move on to Iraq. There's been a lot of speculation that we've picked up in Baghdad that the country is preparing to cut its production target quite substantially. And I just wondered... A, what you made of those rumours, are they believable, given that most people didn't believe that they would achieve that target? And B, what would it mean for the rest of OPEC? When I look at the next few years to come, looking at the global oil demand trajectory and the rather expected decline in the non-OPEC countries of oil production, I see that Iraq is one of the very few countries which could help us not to have a road accident in terms of production growth because Iraq has the potential, a significant potential to increase the oil. However, as you may remember, we discussed, I think, at the end of last year that I said that 12.7 million barrels per day of the government target may be on the optimistic side. So I am not sure whether those rumors are right or wrong, but if Iraq continues to increase its production, Around 2015, around five and a half million barrels per day, which is, I believe, is a realistic uh, way, and this will be more than enough that Iraq does to help to at least ease the supply problems uh, we could have. Iraq is a very important player on the oil markets and will be crucial for having a safe journey in the next years to come. And we need every single drop of oil production from Iraq because it will be very important given the strong oil demand growth coming from Asia plus the the declining oil production trends outside of the OPEC region. 
And what would that do if Iraq did reduce its production target? How would that change the balance within OPEC? I think OPEC should look at it carefully, other member countries look carefully, but our numbers show that the Iraqi crude production in a few years of time may well take over that of Iran. Of course, it is up to the producing countries. How are they going to deal with that new picture? It is, I think, an important homework on their table. Yes, it would raise two issues. First of all, the internal balance of power within OPEC. If Iraq becomes the second biggest producing country, it would presumably become the second most important country in the club after Saudi Arabia. And secondly, at what point would OPEC include Iraq within its quota system? since Iraq has been exempt now for more than 20 years. But if it starts producing at the sort of level which Fatih mentions of perhaps 5.5 million barrels a day in 2015, it's hard to see how it could continue to be left out of OPEC quota restraints. It is my hope to see 5.5 million barrels per day, but I hope that they will be able to do that. We have a a few challenges, few barriers, ranging from the uh, regulatory challenges to the uh, logistical challenges in, in Iraq. But the good news is uh, reserves are there. And reserves are not only there, but they are easy to take under the ground and, and to produce the exploration and cheap in that respect, the production costs compared to many other countries. And there is a growing interest uh, from the international companies, uh, from the Western countries, from the Asian countries. And Iraq is one of the very few basins that the companies can go invest and freely and uh, produce oil. Do you see them changing their contracts at all? Because we met with very senior executives from some of the oil majors recently who were saying that they would not be bidding in the upcoming license round in the autumn if they were similar contracts to the ones that they were on offer a few years ago. Do you see Iraq changing that as, as a way of attracting more investment? Well, there are different uh, rumours on that, but what I can tell you that Iraq is and will be one of the primary destinations for the foreign investment uh, in the oil sector for many years to come. And not only oil, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, gas will be also a crucial part of the equation very soon, the Iraqi gas. Let's move on now to the future energy mix post-Japan. We're joined also now by Polita Clark, the FT's environment correspondent. Fatu, has the IA changed its forecast at all for the expected growth rate for nuclear power going forward? No, we are working on that and forthcoming World Energy Outlook will have a lower nuclear case. So what happens if the uh, nuclear energy growth is slower than what we thought before? And I can tell you that the preliminary findings highlight three major developments. One, we will need to use more gas, more coal, and more renewables in order to fill that gap uh, from nuclear. And uh, this would mean that there could be a pressure on the uh, gas and coal prices because of the higher use of both of these fuels. And uh, this in turn may mean that the electricity generation will be, and electricity prices will be uh, more expensive. Second, currently the share of uh, nuclear energy is about uh, 14% in the global electricity generation mix. And if it goes lower uh, than 14%, which would be the case in a lower nuclear uh, path, this would mean that there will be less diversification of energy in the global energy portfolio, which is not a good news for energy security. You will have less eggs in the basket. 
And the third one, which is very worrying uh, for me, is carbon dioxide emissions uh, will be uh, higher than it otherwise would be. And we may see in the next 20 years about uh, half a gigaton more CO2 emissions than it otherwise is. So we already have major challenges to reach our climate targets. And this would mean that those challenges would be much, much uh, difficult uh, to achieve. These targets much more difficult to achieve, especially when I think of the two degrees target that the, uh, the world leaders have agreed in Cancun and so to sum up, a lower nuclear growth would mean higher energy prices, more risk for energy security, and higher carbon dioxide emissions. Three bad news uh, uh, together. Just interested in what your estimation was of how many countries are actually likely to change their nuclear plans as a result of Fukushima. There are different types of changes. Some of the countries will push for early retirement of the nuclear power plants, especially the ones in Europe. Some of them will not like to build new nuclear power plants again in Europe. And some of the countries who had the plan to build their first nuclear power plants, they said there's a, for a couple of years, they postponed those decisions. So it is difficult to give a number now, but I can tell you that it is mainly focused those countries in Europe, and you know the case of Germany, and there is a new announcement in Italy that they have a moratorium uh, for a year to review. So there are many uh, different views, and I wouldn't expect that there will be a clear decision of all the countries before a year of time. Thank you very much. And finally, Kieran Stacey, the editor of our blog Energy Source, joins us. Karen, what's been going on in terms of the discussions online? Well, we've had three stories dominating over the last week. Um, we've had uh, quite a discussion online over the rise in US fuel prices, uh, how much consumers there are paying at the pump. Prices there are starting to near $4 per gallon of petrol, which was the trigger point pretty much just before the crash in 2008 uh, when demand really started to to fall off a cliff and people are asking whether the same thing could happen if gas uh, peaks above $4 a barrel on average in the US now. Our reporter over in Houston, Sheila McNulty, was pointing out that it's a bit of a mixed blessing for the oil companies themselves. Obviously, they they have higher profits when uh, oil prices are high. There's also public pressure to open up new sources, say, get deep water drilling in the Gulf of Mexico going again. The problem is that there's going to start to be political pressure to reduce some of the tax breaks that uh, that they enjoy. And we're starting to see that from the Senate already. I think on some of the energy chief execs in front of the Finance Committee tomorrow on Thursday. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So they're already having to answer. And, and there is talk that some of those tax breaks could start to be reduced. And of course, we've seen this in the UK where exactly that thing happened. George Osborne took one P off the price of fuel duty, uh, paid for that with increased taxes on North Sea oil and gas. So there, there are worries in the US that that could happen. Now, our readers say, well, this is unlikely to happen, at least the, the tax breaks element of this, because oil companies are very good at lobbying. And uh, I think watch out over the next few months for what's going on behind the scenes in Washington for what the oil companies are telling politicians will happen if they lose these tax breaks. One of our readers is a, a transport planner and has been for, for many decades. And he said that 
he's seen these cycles come and go. And the one thing that would really help to uh, to reduce the impact of these oil price cycles is to make fundamental changes to transport infrastructure. And he says every time the price gets high, people talk about this very seriously. Then what will inevitably happen is demand starts to fall away. The price then comes down and these plans get shelved. So that'll be another theme to watch out for what's going to happen to transport infrastructure. Are people really going to move away from oil if and as and when the oil price starts to fall again? We've also had a couple of other things going on. We've had a cabinet row in the UK over carbon emissions targets. Uh, interestingly, this is a row between two Lib Dems. So this isn't a coalition row between the Conservative and Lib Dems. This is Vince Cable, the business secretary, telling uh, Chris Hume, the energy secretary, that he doesn't want him to sign up to any particularly stringent carbon uh, reduction targets as being recommended by the Committee on Climate Change. And that'll be a really interesting one to watch for next week. How stringent is the UK going to be on trying to cut its carbon emissions. The other thing that our readers have been talking about a lot this week is the commodity sell-off that we saw at the back end of last week. And there's been a lot of debate on the reasons for that. Uh, some kind of flash crash like we saw last year uh, with US equities where automated trading plays a large role and certain algorithms that kick in automatically sell when prices hit a certain level, which then exacerbates the cycle. Thanks very much, and if you'd like to have your say, log on and post a comment on Energy Source. And that's all we have time for today. All that's left is for me to thank Fatty, David, Polita, and of course Kieran. Energy Weekly is produced by LJ Filotrani. I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.